Hey there, everyone. It's great to be with you today on the In Focus podcast to take another fresh look at the Bible and some big Christian ideas and how they bring our world into focus and empower us to live a more eternal kind of life within it. We have something a little bit different for today's episode. This will be the first of a three-part series coming to us from Holy Week uh, 2020. And today's episode will begin with some reflections on Maundy Thursday that were recorded as part of a YouTube series. Uh, If you would like to check out the video version, that link is available in the show notes. Otherwise, without further ado, here we go. Hey, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful Holy Week, even in these unusual circumstances. Today we are celebrating Maundy Thursday and remembering that about 2,000 years ago on this night, Jesus and the disciples were gathering to celebrate the Passover together, and it was one for the ages. Uh, To be honest, after about 20 years of ministry, I think this is my first Maundy Thursday sermon. Um, Right now, that's a little bit hard to imagine because this is actually a message that has been slowly taking shape and uh, ruminating in my heart and mind for several years, I would say, probably, and which has been bubbling up within me on and off uh, more specifically for the past couple of months. So I'm excited to be here with you. Um, Once again, I wish here was face-to-face with all of you, but I'm thankful that at least in lieu of uh, face-to-face gathering, we at least have some technology to facilitate uh, the transforming of our minds and our imaginations together in Christ and our corresponding worship and adoration of Him. Um, So what is the big deal about Maundy Thursday? Uh, Let's dive in. Uh, First, we'll zoom out to take in the significance of the Passover and the life and ministry of Jesus. And then second, we'll zoom in a little bit um, to take note of three pretty earth-shaking details that unfolded at the Last Supper of Jesus and the disciples. So, uh, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, uh, open our hearts and minds to grasp your work in this world and what has already taken place, what is continuing to unfold around us here and now, and everything that lies ahead. We are yours, and we love you, and we give you this time together. Amen. Okay, so when the time was just right, Jesus headed to Jerusalem, knowing that his earthly ministry was about to reach its culmination at the cross and his resurrection, and the right time, according to Jesus at least, uh, for this to begin to unfolding was during the Jewish holiday of Passover. Now, to point out the obvious, Passover wasn't the only time or the only religious holiday that Jesus could have selected to help us interpret uh, the meaning and the significance of his death and resurrection. And in thinking this through, it might even come as a surprise 
to many evangelical Christians, at least the ones who might be paying attention to this sort of thing, that Jesus didn't choose another major Jewish holiday to signify uh, the culmination of his ministry. And that perhaps more obvious choice might have been the Day of Atonement. Uh, the Day of Atonement was the high holiday every year for Jews uh, for um, repenting of sin and for sacrificing to God for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, the Day of Atonement was the time for sin to be atoned for. It was the time to take care of the people's sin problem each year. Uh, but Jesus didn't choose this as the primary identity marker and interpretive lens for his death and resurrection. Again, this is probably worth noting. Uh, obviously, I think so, at least. Uh, now, of course, Jesus' death and resurrection resolved our individual and our collective sin problem. And of course, Jesus' death and resurrection atoned for our sin. In fact, uh, theories and metaphors um, for this atonement are found throughout the New Testament and pitting these various metaphors and theories against each other has been one of Protestant Christians' favorite pastimes uh, for the past several hundred years. So to have the discussion we're having today is not to diminish the significance of the atonement of sin, uh, but we do want to be attentive to what was unfolding historically that's recounted for us in the Word of God. So to be clear and to be redundant, Jesus took care of his people's sin problem. But also to be clear and to be redundant, Jesus could have but did not choose the Day of Atonement as the primary interpretive lens for his death and resurrection. Um, which brings us back to Passover. So what was Jesus doing when he chose Passover as the primary interpretive lens for his death and resurrection? Uh, as a reminder, Passover was a celebration of God's deliverance of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Um, when Moses went to Egypt to set the people free, uh, remember that God performed nine plagues um, against the nation of Egypt. And the 10th plague, uh, God told them about ahead of time. Um, and that plague was to be the death of all the firstborn in the empire of Egypt. Um, but a way out of that was provided for God's people. Uh, first, they were to take in a perfect lamb into their homes, and then that lamb was to be killed, and it was to be eaten in its entirety by the people in the family in what would become a commemorative feast for generations to come. And the people ate the meal dressed and ready to go in response to the deliverance um, that was pending, that had been promised by God through Moses. Um, most significantly, the blood of that lamb was smeared around uh, the door frames into people's homes so that later that night, uh, when the angel of death was moving throughout Egypt as the 10th plague, and the firstborn inside the homes um, whose doorways had been adorned with the blood of the lamb would be spared 
and all the other firstborn in Egypt died. So this was the defining moment uh, for the nation of Israel. It set them apart from Egypt. It set them apart as a unique nation among all the other people groups in that area and uh, around the world. Uh, in that God intervened on behalf of the nation, uh, the whole people group, and set them apart unto himself. It was a kingdom moment, a time when the people were, le- were released from slavery in one kingdom, nation, empire in Egypt, and they were set free into the reign of God over them and the commands of God that would shape their lives and the purposes of God, which would define them among all the peoples of the earth. They were leaving slavery, not to no end, uh, but to realize God's promises over them and to become their own sovereign nation. This was the celebration that Jesus chose to be the primary interpretive lens for his death and resurrection. A kingdom celebration, a corporate celebration, a release from bondage to become a kingdom of God's people. This, of course, matches perfectly uh, the gospel that Jesus uh, proclaimed throughout his ministry and manifested throughout his ministry. The good news that God's kingdom was now available and within reach to all people through its king, Jesus. So on that fateful Thursday night, so many years ago, Jesus gathered his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. Uh, he drew then all of its meaning Thousands of years of remembrance and celebration all upon himself. The Lamb of God, who was about to deliver all people uh, from any and every manifestation of darkness and worldliness and rebellion and sin and enslavement. He was about to make us free so that we might become his people here and now and live in anticipation of the eternal fullness uh, of that kingdom upon Jesus's return. Uh, So that's what happened, and that's what we are remembering and celebrating on Maundy Thursday. It's what we remember every time we participate in the abbreviated celebration of the Passover and communion or the Eucharist uh, at church on Sunday mornings. Um, And I think we can't leave this reflection on Maundy Thursday without then zooming in uh, to remember the profound significance of some of the details that were unfolding at the Last Supper. Uh, Most importantly, uh, because Jesus was cementing forever the truth that God's kingdom is unlike any kingdom that the world had ever previously imagined. Uh, First, at the Last Supper, uh, Judas's betrayal of Jesus began unfolding. A friend, a disciple, a brother gave his life to betray the one who was about to selflessly give his life for all betrayers uh, for all time. Jesus knew it was unfolding uh, and he was undaunted. 
He didn't uh, give the command for the other disciples to restrain Judas or to hold him back. Um, he didn't. Uh, he didn't try to prevent Judas's betrayal, even, or to try to evade the pain and the agony uh, that was going to lie ahead be- as a result of what Judas was about to do. Uh, Jesus knew. Jesus did not violate Judas's will. He didn't beg or plead. He released Judas unto his own choice and the path he had chosen. And in doing so, released himself uh, to press in on the path that God had chosen for Jesus as the lamb who was about to set free all of those who would faithfully follow him forever and ever. So there's the betrayal. Um, Second, at the Last Supper, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. So forever and ever, God's kingdom was cemented as a kingdom of service and sacrifice unto greatness. Uh, Power and leadership were turned on their heads entirely. Um, Whereas in the world, such things are exercised in force and influence and leverage. Uh, Forever in God's kingdom, the greatest would be like children. The greatest would be servants of all. The greatest would live their lives and lay down their lives on behalf of others, just like Jesus. And then finally, as we noted in more depth previously, uh, the Passover was forever reinvented and reinterpreted and culminated in the death um, and resurrection shortly to follow of Jesus, the eternal Christ, the liberating and reigning king. Uh, So the wine and the bread that had been celebrated in the Passover meal by literally millions of people uh, for thousands of years suddenly had new meaning signifying the body and blood of Jesus that was about to be broken and poured out to initiate the renewal of all creation and the eternal reign of God over it. So there you have it. Uh, the glorious celebration of Maundy Thursday and the events uh, that were on the cusp of unfolding as Jesus and the disciples gathered on this night a couple thousand years ago for that fateful Passover meal. May we be gripped by the significance of this day. May we not lose sight of the turn that was beginning to take place as the most significant celebration of God's people was about to come full circle and bring into earth-shattering focus the death and resurrection of Jesus. May you have a blessed night as you remember and celebrate and anticipate uh, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday as they are now so very close. May you be free in Jesus Christ from any and every influence and power of this world that would seek to enslave and define you. May you be free to enter into an eternal kind of kingdom life under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ here, now, and forever. Amen. 
All right, there you have it on Maundy Thursday. If today's episode helped bring your world into a little better focus, please give it a good rating or review, uh, which actually goes a long way in helping others be able to find the show. You can also share it directly with your friends and family on social media. Um, If you'd like to hear some thoughts about something specific from the Bible or a particular big Christian idea that might help bring your world into better focus, please email me using the address included in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for being a friend of the show and for tuning in to the In Focus podcast. May God continue bringing your world into clearer focus and may He lead you into an increasingly eternal kind of life before Him.